Uh, this is us in a Calvary directory from years ago. Um, I am one of four children. I'm the middle daughter. My older sister is Christy. Um, she had short hair back then. Um, me with the bow in my hair, Ginger, and then um, my brother Eric. And so out of the three girls, I was probably closest to my dad. Do you have that other picture? This is a more recent picture of us kids. We go from oldest to youngest in our family. Um, but I was closest to my dad, and that was probably out of the girls because I was his, like, handyman helper, right? We did really big handyman things around our house, like change light bulbs. And uh, when we did those big handyman things, we, I was willing to stand back and applaud my dad how amazing he was at his handyman things. And um, most of you know that's about the extent of what we did. Sometimes we hung a shelf, but mom had to help with that because it had to be level. But um, we had fun in our house. But I do like to remind people that the pastor, Nick, that you know, was not necessarily the dad I grew up with. My dad is 50% Serbian, 50% German. It took a whole lot of Holy Spirit and time to mold him into the man that he was. He was an amazing dad. I'm not, he was never abusive. He was never, but he was a workaholic. He always worked on developing himself. He worked on um, learning all the time, and we're going to talk about that. And uh, I'm so proud of who he is today and what he has helped mold in all of us kids and all of the congregation that you guys all have had the benefit of knowing him and of being under him. So um, I don't know if you guys know this, but my dad barely graduated high school, literally by the skin of his teeth. And a lot of prayer, I'm sure, from his mom. I uh, can feel this very deeply in my spirit. Um, he, he was what he termed a misunderstood ute. If you guys have ever heard that, that term from him, he was a misunderstood ute. And that uh, was the way he kindly put the fact that he made poor choices as a child and got in with some wrong friends. But he now grad, he's now retiring as Reverend Dr. Nick Jackson Jr., RPH. He, yeah. So my dad first became a pharmacist. He did that for many, up, right up until about a year ago. He, um, as I was growing up, I think my grade school years, he got his master's in counseling, which back in the day, like online school, where they literally mailed you VHS tapes. And he would sit in the living room and he would watch those tapes. And he literally wore a hole in his... Uh, he, he just was always sitting and watching and studying. And then he got his master's in counseling, so he counseled on top of um, being a pharmacist. Then when I went to college and he realized that my pharmacy degree was going to be a doctorate, he went back and he got his Ph.D. Um, in counseling. And so we were so proud of him. Like, we were all grown and raised, and my dad got his Ph.D., and then uh, we all became pastor's kids as adults. We weren't raised as pastor's kids, but we are pastor's kids now because then God led him through this journey of becoming an ordained minister. 
My dad taught me to never stop learning and never stop developing myself. And as a child, I, my dad owned his own pharmacy when I was little, and I, we could walk. I don't know why mom let us walk those over the train tracks in the back alleys, but we would, and we would go and we would see dad work, and I decided very young that I was going to be a pharmacist like my dad. I watched him study. I watched him continue to always pursue something new and something more. I watched as God directed him to get credentialed, and he didn't stop until he got ordained. I did always think one day we would get to work together as pharmacists, and it wasn't until his first failed attempt to retire that we uh, started working together, and he became a pharmacist with me at Value Care, and that's a treasure that I have. I got to work with him for his last years of working. My dad's favorite memory Bible verse has always been Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And I think my dad lived this out. He just continued through all the trials and all the hardships. And I'll share some of his story today. Obviously not all his 72 years of, of existence. It wasn't all wonderful. It wasn't all beautiful. But he just always kept walking. He always just kept moving forward and climbing and growing. My dad is a great storyteller. And I love to listen to him tell stories. And uh, I'll share some of my favorites. But I think the most important story that my dad has to share, and one that none of us thought to ask as we were growing up, but now that we're older, wish we had understood better, is how did you go from this kid who at 13 ran away from home and left the state, came back, barely graduated high school, was completely a misunderstood youth, and how do you, be, how do you become who you are today, Dad? What did that look like? How did that happen? And so I believe and is that it was one or two very key important people at different points in his life that helped him, that encouraged, protected, guided, and believed in him one at a time in their own ordained time that helped to continue to make him who he is today. And so with his story, I want to encourage everyone here that you are needed in someone's story. To be the one for the one. Do it for one person and be who they need in their, your life and in their life. So my dad has shared he did not have an easy upbringing. He did suffer abuse at the hand of his dad. Um, and he was termed King Pete. This was a term he got from being the oldest son of the oldest son of the oldest son forever and ever. And so he was called King Pete, and that allowed him some safety and, and kind of some, what do you say, taken care of by the women in his life because he was King Pete. But his Bubba, who would be my grandma, his dad's mom, was a protector for him. When he needed to get out of the house, he would run to Bubba's house because she was close enough, and she would protect him. She would let him you know, run down the basement and out the back door, and um, she was always there for him. Anytime that she needed 
his Bubba protected him. Now, my Bubba, his mom, had a little bit different role. But she was um, a no-nonsense kind of lady, but she wouldn't lie for my dad. So she would protect him to the point, but if someone called and said, hey, is Nick there? She'd be like, yep, come and get him, bring him back to school or whatever it is that you needed. But she showed him something a little bit different. She was a safe place to turn to, but she always had integrity. And when my dad left the state at age 13, she was the one who met him at the border and brought him home and got him back to school. I think many, many times got him back to school. Um, my favorite story about my Bubba, she's such a strong woman, is um, I hope I'm telling the story, but she was very pregnant and a car rolled onto another child. She picked the car up off of a child and the adrenaline that she had she was a strong, strong woman. The most, I don't understand this story, but it's the most significant one in the change of my dad, is a man named Pete Quisenberry. I say I don't understand because I can't fathom how much belief this guy had in this very misunderstood youth. He owned a pharmacy, and he took my dad off the street and said, I want you to clean for me. And he gave him access to the pharmacy to clean and to stock. And as my dad developed his trust, he delivered meds, and he, became, and he worked in the pharmacy. Pete was the one who got my dad into college, got my dad through college, gave my dad his first jobs. He trusted this misunderstood youth with his pharmacy and showed my dad another option for his future. My dad was not someone that, you know, graduated at the top of his class, and everybody wanted him but he needed somebody to believe in him. I believe that without Pete believing in my dad and helping him in the ways he does, my dad would not be the person he is today. He saw something in my dad that nobody else did. He believed in my dad even when my dad didn't believe in himself. And he called it out in my dad, step by step, day by day, until my dad was living it out. But Pete got my dad into college. One of the best things that came out of college for my dad, I am completely convinced, is my mom. Because <laughs> she had to take him the rest of the way. And um, it took some convincing on my dad's part, but uh, they obviously are still together today. Um, without the determination and the strength of this tall, good-looking blonde that sits beside him, I don't know where he would be and where his journey would have finished. There was obviously a learning curve because uh, my mom didn't value the King Pete uh, wanting to be served like his, parent, his Bubba and his, his mom did, but they figured it out and they've uh, stayed together. My mom was the driving force that uh, got us back into church. And after my brother Eric was born, we were living in Menominee, and she decided we were going to go back to church. My dad worked a lot, and so she was like, okay, we'll pick a church that he'll be comfortable at so that when he isn't working, he'll be comfortable going to church. And so she did that. She got us all ready. We went to this church. Uh, she went to the nursery to drop off my little brother, and there was nobody in the nursery. So she was disappointed, but she sat in there. And then somebody else came and decided they were going to leave their child with my mom, who was a first-time visitor at the church. And my mom was like, 
this is it. Like, I want to go to church. And I'm like, so she grabbed all of us girls, and we left. And she, uh, you, know, you know what a phone book is, right? Those things we used to have printed. She grabbed the phone book, and she literally opened it to churches and picked the next church that started. And Calvary Church started at 1030. So we walked in the doors of Calvary Church. Within minutes, I'm sure Auntie Donna had Evan or Eric and was loving on him. And the rest is history. And we've been at Calvary Church ever since. Uh, my mom probably became comfortable with uh, Pentecostal service. Well, we know a lot faster than my dad did. But uh, after fleeing the first one or two times he was here, he uh, obviously has decided that, uh, that everything is okay. But I believe what kept my dad coming back is the encouragement and the friendships of the men of the church. These men now fit another important role in my dad's life. He was losing other friends and had lost friends uh, because he was changing his lifestyle and he was living for the Lord. And so these men came in and fit that. They, were, um, they developed trust and a relationship with my dad. They would do things my dad liked, sports and hunting and fishing to develop these relationships. And then when needed, because of these relationships, they challenged some bad theology that my dad was holding in a very loving, kind way. Hey, I don't think, I don't think you're looking at this quite right. I think you need to readjust. Yes, we know God is everywhere, but you really should be here Sunday morning and not on the lake. Um, but unless they had developed those relationships and built them in an intimate friendly way, they wouldn't have been able to speak into him in a way that he would have heard. And so I believe that those men, some of them still here in the church today, and many have moved on, they had an important part in developing my dad and helping him into who he is today. So growing up, one of the uh, things that cemented in our minds as kids was Sunday afternoon dinner. My mom would get up and get a roast or something ready in the oven and then have everything prepped and somehow miraculously it was like all ready when we got home. Um, there are some details to that story that my siblings will be upset that I didn't share, but I'm still scared enough of my mom that we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so, yeah, the best part uh, and one thing, again, we didn't realize as kids how important this was, is many, many, many times there was another family around our dinner table. So we would come home, and we would eat, and most of the kids would scatter, and I wouldn't leave the table. Because at that point is when my dad would start telling his stories. And I loved to hear his stories. Even if I've heard them a hundred times, I wanted to hear them again. And by him sharing his stories... He would relate to the people, and they would share their stories, and they would develop relationships and find a point of contact and a point to relate to no matter who sat at our table. I think it's really important as a church to get back around the table, to get back to building relationships in this type of way, whether it's literally my table in my house, if they're at a restaurant, grabbing coffee, small group, whatever it is, I think it's really important that we get back to really knowing each other and knowing our history. We can make acquaintances on Sunday morning, 
but we don't build relationships until we get around the table, until we foster them in deeper and more intimate ways. When we take time to get to know the real person inside of what we see on a Sunday morning, then we can hopefully be what they need when they need it. We can build trust and maintain trust so that we can be who they need, that they can be vulnerable enough to expose themselves to us and we expose ourselves to them as well. Acts 2, 42 and 46 through 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, my parents demonstrated this to me, and I didn't realize what I was learning until you look back, like so many lessons in life. So I'm going to tell you a few of my favorite stories that my dad tells from his childhood. Um, I think we enjoyed the stories the most where dad got himself injured <laughs> at his own hand. And so, um, number one, my dad was told to go out into the yard and pick up all the paper that had scattered. I'm not sure why there was paper there, but there was paper. So he took a broom handle and he put a nail at the end and he was doing like you see, you know. So he's picking up paper and stuff. Well, um, he saw an ant and so he decided to like try to get the ant. And so with the nail, he realized that was a really small point to try to get it. So he turned the broom handle over, figuring it was a bigger area and so he's trying to get this nail, well, or this ant, and he didn't realize that when he hit the concrete, that the broom handle would come right back up, and he shoved the nail through his lip and through his nose, and it hung there as he went running to his mom. <laughs> so he's got this nail. So he goes running to his mom, my bubba, again, the strong, strong lady. He runs to the door, he pounds on the door. She's like, what in the world did you do? So she pulls the nail out, pours peroxide in it, and just sends him back outside. <laughs> so... That one, I think, is my favorite, but um, I think because we can all relate to that ADD moment where you're like, oh, you know, ant, you know. Um, then another time, um, I believe this story in my mind started with him jumping off the roof to get away from his dad. Um, jumps off the roof over fences, so he's jumping, like, you know, scaling fences or whatever, and he uh, jumped over a fence into where there was construction, and he landed down on a board that had nails sticking up. <laughs> so both of his hands, he's got <laughs> nails. And so again, he runs home, he like bangs on the door, his mom pulls him out, and uh, he was fine. Like she poured peroxide in it, and, and he was fine. So... We didn't go to the doctor often when we were kids and hurt either, so, you know. All right, one more story. When my dad was um, a young adult, he was in a very bad car accident. And he went through the windshield. He was a passenger. He went 
through the windshield, and then the car hit a house, and he ended up back in the car. But anyways, he was so badly injured on his face that his parents couldn't even recognize him. And they kept him in the part of the hospital that had no mirrors, and it was a long recovery. Um, he, he almost died in that accident, but obviously God had um, more for his story and kept him around. As part of his recovery, he had many plastic surgeries and a lot of pain and recovery. And uh, they realigned his eyebrows and fixed the scars on his face. But he had one scar by an eyebrow, and his mom said, that's mine, don't touch it. And she would not let the, or, let the plastic surgeons fix that one scar. No one in this room knows my, dad's, my dad without the scars on his face, the literal scars on his face. If you look closely, you can see the line that goes through his face. Even my mom has never known my dad without his scars. I don't think most of you even know that they're there because they've just always been a part of who he is for you. And I just want to challenge you, a lot of people walk into our church and they have scars, either externally or internally. They probably weren't in the same kind of accident my dad was in, but they've gone through life. Maybe even from his own choices, like the scars he's produced on his body from other choices that he's made. My dad has another scar that he doesn't talk about. We don't know the story behind, but we just know it was a part of his past that he doesn't care to share. But regardless, you have all chosen to accept my dad with his scars. And I challenge you to do the same for others. People come in with all sorts of scars. They have a story to tell and what they've gone through and the pain that maybe those scars came with. But we need to look at others and see past the scars and look to what did those scars create in them. What changes in their life and what, what new ministry and blessing do they have because of those scars? So my goal in sharing with you today is, number one, to honor my dad. For all he has been to me in my life, to all that he has been to you, to our community, before he was a pastor, he did motivational speaking. He would help businesses with their training. He's done so many things. But I want to encourage you to go out and be the one for the one. To get back around the table, whatever that looks like. To develop relationships and to look at others for who they are in God's eyes. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says... Two are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people laying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. So in all of our relationships, we commit to having Jesus as that third strand to really solidify these relationships and to help us to not be broken when, need, when we feel like we will. So I want to challenge you, if you feel hopeless in your current situation, take heart in knowing where other people come from. 
I only shared a small portion of my dad's story that hopefully showed you that where you are does not determine where you will end up. I did not share about my parents' stories of financial difficulties, other struggles from growing up. I didn't share my own personal family troubles over the last few years. But I want to encourage you by saying there are moments for each of us that if we stop and we look around, it can look in that moment completely hopeless and completely overwhelming. But we are a testament that we live through each day, day by day. We take one step at a time, uh, some steps in the right direction and some steps in the wrong direction, but steps nonetheless. And we eventually find ourselves on the other side, still breathing, still together, still believing, and now having one more big thing that God has got us through. And it's by getting back to the table and building relationships that we can share our story to others and help them through hard times and encourage them. If God gives you a vision that seems so far off and so momentous, way too big to even achieve, just remember that it's step by step, one achievable goal at a time. Keeping your eye on the vision and keeping your eye on God for his direction along the way. For some people, God gives the end goal, and you get this huge vision of what it's going to be. Um, I think that if God had done that for my dad and showed him that being credentialed with his PhD and all this stuff, he would have froze and not gone anywhere. So instead, it was just step by step, one step after another, one great, great thing, one mistake, one you know tragedy, one success, at a time, and God just continued to direct him. God continued to use circumstances and his direction to lead my dad. And so I hope that this motivates you in some way today, and that we can just celebrate with my dad that uh, he gets to retire in a great, great fashion. So Pastor Tim... Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Great message. Wasn't that awesome? Amen. <clears throat> Just in, uh, in closing, and Nick would say, how many more closings are you going to have, Pastor? <clears throat> he used to ask me that. Um, I remember Nick, uh, first time we talked on the phone was when they were... Uh, uh, checking me out uh, to be a potential candidate to be the lead pastor here at Calvary, and Nick was the spokesperson. And uh, you know, uh, in twenty, a little over, uh, close to twenty-one years ago, uh, ended up here. Nick was a deacon at the time, and uh, Nick uh, was a really good deacon. And in those early days, in the deacons' meetings, we had very long meetings because uh, during those first few years, we dreamed out loud. I mean, we would. 
just uh, dream out loud, begin to speak out loud what was in our hearts about where we saw God taking Calvary Church from where it is. And, you know, back in uh, when I came here, was uh, voted in by the uh, voting members of the congregation at a high rate. A year later, there in the bylaws, there was a vote of confidence at the end of a year. And uh, before that year was almost over, I remember we had a uh, an event over at the Fellowship Hall before the service started at the church. And Nick and I were walking together at the old church from Fellowship Hall up behind the church where the ramp was going up right up to the offices in the office area. And we're talking about, you know, the church is so full, Nick, what are we going to do? And we, we probably need to be thinking about building. And he said, oh, pastor, pastor, don't ever bring that up till after your election because because we like you. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, you'll get run out on a rail by talking about having a building program. And I just looked kind of funny. I didn't know if he was kidding or not because in the in the deacons meetings, he was a riot. I mean, we would have a lot of fun and he would tell his stories there. And one of the stories that he would share, and, and Lane was the secretary at the time, Lane Stank, and Lane would be taking the minutes, you know, writing the minutes down, and Nick would be just going on telling his stories. And he'd be complaining because, you know, Jill says <clears throat> that she's buying queen-size mattresses and box springs for the bedrooms, and she's not spending that money. Well, next month, we'd be reading the minutes before the board meeting, and and Jill says, <laughs> Lane put it in the minutes, and then we had a good laugh, and then, you know, we'd talk about it again. She still wants those mattresses, and we're not spending, and this went on for months, so this was Nick, and uh, Lane had a good sense of humor. We had a good laugh about that. Uh, in that first year that we were here, in fact, we, we just moved here, and uh, Donna was, uh, still in North Dakota, you know, doing some more packing and stuff for our second load here. And Nick asked me, or Jill did, one of the two, said, hey, on your way through Minneapolis, could you stop and pick our daughter Ginger up from North Central and bring her home? And I said, well, sure, we'd be glad to do that. So me and my two youngest daughters stopped, picked her up, <clears throat> and I didn't know Ginger, but Ginger likes to talk. And Ginger told me all about Nick and Jill, you know, and I had inside information uh, that uh, I could use, you know, that really helped me. A little leverage there, but no, seriously, one of the things Ginger said, she talked about her dad and his transformation, and in that transformation, I said, well, what do you think caused him, motivated him to transform spiritually? And she said, uh, Pastor, I think it was cleansing stream seminars and retreats uh, that he went through the cleansing stream and then he changed and and next year he went through it again and the next year again and each time my dad would go through that I would see it I we would have a different dad the Holy Spirit the Word of God sanctified and cleansed and transformed Nick's heart and uh, I agree with uh, with Lisa I saw him as he was 20 a little over 21 21 almost 21 years ago and I didn't see him before that but I heard about how God had touched him and how the Holy Spirit transformed his life. Uh, and, and then there came the time when uh, Nick was a deacon, and, but there's something about him that the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me uh, by discernment, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, is that there's more to him than being a deacon. And, the, and deacon is a high call. I thank God for our deacons. I, I thank God for them. They work so hard. 
they give so much, and they love this church, and they love the Lord more than anything. And I appreciate their families for allowing them to serve. But uh, there was a time when Pastor Roger Whittem was still here. He was my uh, youth associate at that time. We were very, very good friends. And in, in discussing with Roger, I said, you know, Roger, uh, there's something about Nick. And he says, well, what about him? I said, he's different than when I came here a few years back. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you know, I believe that he has the call of the Holy Spirit to be a minister, not, you know, uh, not just a deacon. And he said, we talked about it, Tim and I, and uh, said, and he said, well, are you going to tell him? And I said, no. I said, he needs to hear it from the Lord himself. Well, time went by. I'm not sure how much time went by, maybe a few months, uh, two or three months. And, and uh, Nick came into my office, wanted to see me, and he talked with me, and he shared, you know, Pastor, I don't know what's going on or anything, but I, I just feeling that the Holy Spirit is, is dealing with me about, about doing more and call to ministry. And in the old offices at the old church, there was a door that you could hear right through uh, between myself and the youth pastor, Pastor Roger. And I said, Nick, wait here a minute and sit down. And maybe he was sitting and he looked big like, what are you doing? I got up, opened the door into Roger's office, said, Roger, come in here for a minute. Come in. And Roger walked in, and he looked, had this confused look, and I said, uh, uh, tell Nick what we talked about a while back. Uh, and he says, well, about, I said, about, you know, we talked about. He says, oh. And he looked at Nick, and he said, Nick, Pastor and I discussed, and Pastor said that he believes that you're called into ministry. And Nick just got big. You know how big his eyes can get sometimes, you know. And he looked surprised, and I, and I said, but I wanted you to hear it for yourself. And Roger will bear witness. And, and that was an amazing moment because he was hearing God call him to serve in a greater capacity of ministry. And since that time, uh, as Lisa pointed out, he moved ahead, got his PhD, his doctorate in biblical clinical counseling, uh, and served in a greater capacity of preaching and teaching the Word of God, and really just a big encouragement. And, and during this time that I have been here, 21 years this summer, is Nick has been and has grown uh, as being a confidant to myself, that I've been able to share with Nick uh, just about anything, and uh, except one thing. When he first came here, he said, uh, oh, you can come to me for counseling, but don't ever come and tell me you and Don are having trouble. I don't want to hear it. I said, okay. So we never did that. And uh, I told Donna, we can't have trouble because Nick won't like it. So, but he, he's been my confidant. And I've been able to share with him anything. Go in and have him come in and shut the door and we can sit and talk. And he's the one person, he's the one person, the one person that I have had in my life that I gave him permission. I've never done this with anybody else. That he can tell me anything about myself, that he has permission to tell me when I'm wrong, he has permission to tell me when I'm missing the mark. And I have that kind of relationship with Nick. Nick will bear witness with that. He has been my best friend at Calvary for 21 years almost. And he will continue, I believe, to be my friend, unless I, you get mad about what I'm going to say next, Nick, I don't know. But he is a good man. Um, 
uh, I could work with Jill for probably 17, 18 years, and uh, we have come, become very close, good friends, to where we could tell each other just about anything too, disagree and still be friends and still love each other. And, uh, and she could give you a look too. So I, and we're still friends. And that look never scares me because I got used to it. So I had five daughters and a wife, so you, know, you kind of get used to that. So um, he was and is and always be my friend. And Nick, I love you in the Lord. I appreciate you. You've been a blessing not just to me, but you've been a blessing to the staff. You've been a blessing to everyone in this church over the years. One of the first things you said to me when you said you were a counselor, I said, oh, good. I hope you're going to continue. And you said, yes, I just like to help my friends, my friends. And if you know Nick, everybody's his friend. He, he loves, he cares, and he was very, very good at what he did. And I appreciate you, Nick, and God bless you today. Would you give him a hand today?